Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. I hope you had a great week. Just remember that Let's Talk Micro is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, TuneIn Radio, Overcast, Stitcher, Pandora, wherever you listen to your podcast, you can find Let's Talk Micro. I am also on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro, no apostrophe, and on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro 1. So go ahead and follow. What about that last episode, huh? What a great interview. If you haven't listened to it, go ahead and it's episode 18, Talking Micro with Dania Casellas. It was definitely a great interview. So Dania, like myself, she is a medical laboratory scientist and she works with organ donor testing. And that's such important work. You know, like I mentioned, you want to make sure that those organs that are going to your loved ones or your significant others are free of organisms, right? You want to make sure that they don't do more harm than good because already that person, which could be yourself, it's already in a delicate state of health. I mean, when you need an organ, when you need a transplant. So we want to make sure that those organs are um, safe of organisms. So this is where, where her work comes in. So it's another important aspect of micro. You see how varied it is? You can have from teaching, research, as an MLS or medical laboratory scientist, environmental microbiology. So there are many areas in this field where you can contribute. So if, like I said, if you haven't listened to it, just go ahead and go back and listen to it because it's a great interview. So during the interview, we compare the process of her work to mine, right? In our clinical lab setting, those of you that work in a hospital or um, like a reference lab. So we start with plating the sample and preparing a gram stain, right? Based on the order, of course, not all orders, they require a gram stain, but, but some do. For example, wound cultures, body fluid cultures, CSF cultures respiratory cultures such as sputum, bronchial washes, those type of samples they do require a gram stain. So it is typically prepared when you plate the sample. So however in her case when she gets her sample she places it in liquid media. Right? So you remember when I talked about media so you have solid media for example blood, chocolate, McConkie and you can have liquid media, right? Like, um, like a limb broth, which you use for group B strep. And another example is thioglycolate. And this is the one that she mentioned, right? She says that she puts her samples in thioglycolate. So let's go ahead and talk about thioglycolate. So thioglycolate or thio, like we like to say in the lab. So you're gonna hear me referring to thio and when I say thio, I'm referring to thioglycolate. So thioglycolate broth, like I said, liquid media. So let's start by going with the ingredients that it has. So it has casein, soy broth, and glucose. And this is for the enrichment of, you know, for the enrichment, for the growth of most microorganisms. You can have different versions of thio, 
with different ingredients. For example, some have vitamin K1 and hemine. Uh, vitamin K1 is needed for some anaerobes to grow, such as some strains of Prevotella. And then hemine is needed for the growth of many organisms. And of course, in addition to this, the broth has thioglycolate. So what is this? Well, thioglycolate acts, acts as a reducing agent. So to what effect, right? That's the question. Well, this helps create an anaerobic environment at the bottom of the tube. Knowing all this, which is right, you have different ingredients like casein, soy broth, glucose, vitamin K1, hemine, and then you have a reducing agent that helps the growth of anaerobes. So which organisms do you think that can grow on thiol? Well, pretty much most of them, right? So if the organism is a strict aerobe, it grows on the top. If it's anaerobic, it grows on the bottom. So it supports the growth of facultative anaerobes, microaerophilic, and fastidious organisms. Now, the other question is, how do we inoculate it, right? We have, talk, we have talked about on previous episodes, right? When I introduced, you know, there's styles of streaking. When you have solid media, how do you streak it, you know? Um, isolation, quantitation. When you're talking about the TSI slants, the lysine iron agar, or the urea slants, right? So with the TSI and the lysine iron agar, you stop the butt, and then as you pull out with your needle, then you streak your slant. And then with your urea slant, you just go ahead and you streak the slant only. You don't stab it, because you want to leave that that butt as the control, right? So inoculating a thiol is very simple, right? So it's liquid, comes in a tube. Some tubes have five milliliters, some have eight. So if you have a fluid, you just place a few drops in the tube. If you have an e-swab, you can put a few drops from the liquid anise in the tube, right? So the, the e-swab, when you, you know, you swap the area and then you put it in the transport tube and the transport tube has a liquid, which is called amis and that's transport media. So that preserves the, the, the organisms until you can get them to play them. Typically, depending on the swab about with 48 hours, the number starts to reduce. So the organisms start dying. So if you have an e-swab, you just, you know, you vortex and then you go ahead and with a pipette, get some drops out of that amies, and then you put that on your thiol. If you have tissues, once you grind your tissue, and then, you know, if you remember when you grind your tissue, it typically, they sell the, the, the grinder with the little container, the plastic tube, the plastic conical tube, and then you put thiol in it, you put the piece of your tissue, and then you grind it. So if it is a tissue, you can place a few drops of that grind on your thiol. Then you go ahead and incubate them with the caps loosened at 35 to 30, 37 degrees on a non-CO2 incubator. And then you examine them daily for any sign of growth, which is demonstrated by cloudiness and turbidity. If they are clear, you keep them for about five days. 
If you have synovial fluid, however, those are typically kept for 14 days. And you remember on the interview that Danny and I talked about that keeping it for 14 days, you know, typically the physician is looking for um, to rule out cutibacterium, which it was called propionibacterium, which is a gram-positive run. So when the physician wants to rule it out, they typically just call the lab and say, hey, can you keep this for 14 days? You know, another one that can they can be trying to rule out, it's nutritionally deficient strep. So they can call and extend it for a longer period. So I did talk to Donnie about it then. Sometimes, you know, keeping it for 14 days or that long, you know, it just, it might increase the chances of contamination, right? The more you handle the media, the higher the risk of contamination. You know, you can have bacteria in the air or you can transfer it from your gloves. So all, all these factors, they increase the chance of contamination. But however, of course, if the doctor wants to keep it for 14 days, we're going to honor that request. But in all likelihood, it, it might increase the chances of contamination. I mean, you're looking at it, you're like, okay, maybe does it have a little bit of growth? So you open it, pipette some to do a gram stain to see if there's an organism. And then maybe you introduce something, maybe with the gloves, the air. So yes, the likelihood increases with the more you handle the specimen. That is true for plates as well. When you're on the bench, you typically just open them when you're gonna work them up. And then that's it. That opening and closing, you might introduce something which might end up contaminating and you might make a decision that it's not the right one. So we always need to be careful with this. So in the lab, in our side, in the clinical hospital reference lab, a thio is added to some cultures. It is typically added to surgical specimens, like tissue and body fluids. And like I said, then they are examined daily. You know, I just finished talking about the contamination, and I want to share something with you that comes from the American Society for Microbiology, which they have no relationship to this podcast. They have no opinions. Um, this is not, they have nothing to do with this podcast. Big disclaimer. So they say that historically, tissues from surgery and body fluids have been inoculated into broth. And this practice has been shown to be neither clinically relevant nor cost-effective in improving the recovery of pathogenic organisms. Prolonged incubation rarely results in the enhancement of a pathogen and may result in overgrowth of skin microbiota. Typically, what if you have maybe some quite negative style or something that is just not pathogenic and maybe there was just, there was a little bit on the original culture, nothing grows on the plate, but then you have it on the thigh. So it could be a possible contamination. But however, this is why some, when we work, when we have this scenario in the lab where we have some plates that are not growing and we have an organism growing on thigh, we release it with a with a comment saying that it came from liquid media. That way the physician is aware that there was no growth on the primary plates. So we make sure that, like I said, that they know that it was just on that liquid media. And that way the physician can make that decision and based on 
that criteria. But saying if you don't specify that, then it might give the the physician an, an idea that you know there's a very massive infection, right? When, when we have growth on our plates, you know, we say like a rare, few, moderate, one plus, two plus, three plus. So in this case, we don't quantitate. We just say the the organism that was recovered and from liquid media, no growth on primary plates. There can be, the comments can be tailored depending on the facility, but it is basically along those lines. So, and it is my experience with the thio that always, a lot of times, it's basically it, the organisms that are growing on the plates, they're growing on the thio. So how do we correlate the growth of the thio to what is on the plate, okay? So if cloudiness is observed, then you perform a gram stain, right? Gram stain, first step. You wanna make sure, sometimes you know you might think that it might seem, seem a little hazy or something and then you do a gram stain, you don't see anything. So you always start there, right? Because you wanna make sure that what you're seeing, you're gonna compare it to what's on the plate or what was seen on the original gram stain. So if you see a morphology that is different from what's on the plate, then you sub out your broth to two blood plates. One is incubated aerobically and one anaerobically, right? Because you wanna make sure that you rule out both aerobic and anaerobic organisms, right? And at this point in time, you might be wondering, so how how is the plate incubated anaerobically? Is it the same as we do it aerobically? If you're a student, we are going to talk about anaerobes in the next upcoming episodes. So we'll go over that process. Somebody, we have always say, you know, I go over it with you, the audience. So you want to rule out anaerobic organisms and aerobic organisms. So that's what the purpose of doing those two plates. So you actually will do the same if you have no growth in your primary plates or the value. So those are two presentations. So let me go back just to make it a little bit clearer. So meaning so right on your thio, you see a different morphology than what's on your plate. So of course, let's say that your plate is growing E. coli. You have E. coli growing on all your plates. And then you look at your thio and you see gram-positive coxine chains. So that's what I mean when you say a different morphology than what's on the plate. And of course, if your plates are not growing anything, but then your thio is so cloudy, then you go ahead and sub that out to a blood aerobically, incubated aerobically, and a blood incubated anaerobically. Now, of course, there are some things that you have to keep in mind, right? But before I go into that, those plates are incubated, you know, about 24 hours, 24 to 48 hours, especially your anaerobes. You need to give them some time. Give them two days if nothing is going aerobically and you see an anaerobe, you know, give it 48 hours to make sure that it grows nice and healthy. But however, there are some things that you need to consider, right? So you went ahead and you did your gram stain on your thio, and then you saw that it was, a, let's say it was a gram negative rod, but your plate was growing cox high or the other way around, 
or your plates were not going anything, and you saw a gram positive cock sign. So you played it. And then after 24 to 48 hours, nothing grows. So at that point in time, you're like, what's going on? Using the knowledge that you have, if you're already a microbiologist, or if you are a student and you start going through what you have learned so far, well, there are some organisms that do not grow in blood agar. What about if you have a Haemophilus? Haemophilus does not grow in blood agar unless, right, it does the satellite around the colonies of Staph aureus, but by itself it's not going to grow because it doesn't have both factors, the X and V, that it needs to grow. So that's one. And what about if you have a nutritionally deficient strep? That also might need maybe a, might need a chocolate plate with a pyridoxal disc. So you have to keep that in mind. Also, you might encounter some other challenges that, for example, if your plate was growing E. coli, let's say a gram negative rod, and then you see, you see cocci on the thio, but what if maybe there were some gram negative rods in there, and then your plate is overgrown by gram negative rods. So at that point in time, you're going to have to, once again, maybe grab the thio and sub it to a PEA. And that way you can give that gram positive cocci a chance. And with experience, you might probably do this from the get-go, just to make sure, knowing that you have a gram-negative rod on your original plates. You might just go ahead from the get-go and do a blood and a PEA, just to make sure. And this is the things that we learn as we go on, using our knowledge in, in micro. So we kind of try to st stay ahead. In microbiology time, everything you know, moves in a day. So it's not like in the rest of the lab that let's say you have um you have a CBC that was clotted, right? You have a a basic metabolic panel that was hemolyzed. We call the nurse, request a recollect, and then maybe in an hour or so, an hour, two hours, we get a new sample. With micro, it's different, right? If we're trying to isolate that bacteria, we need to plate it and give it 18 to 24 hours. If we don't manage that, then we have to try something else, and then we have to give it another 18 to 24 hours. So you see, everything keeps getting extended, so it can cost you two, three days. That's why we try to stay ahead of the game as much as we can. And using things like this, you're like, okay, you use like critical thinking, and you're like, okay, they're could be gram-negative rots in this style that I'm not seeing. So let me go ahead and do a PEA. And then the next day, there you go. Maybe your blood plate has a lot of gram-negative rots. But then in your PEA, you see your gram-positive coxite. And then you can proceed and save yourself a day. So let's touch base real quick on non-viability. So that's another thing to consider if your organism doesn't grow. You saw it on the thigh, and maybe you, you subculture it to the plates, and nothing is growing. It could be also that the organism is non-viable. And that happens sometimes, you know, by the time that, for many factors, uh, the organism starts dying. And then sometimes, you know, they either grow very weak on the plate, or they do not grow at all. So it happens sometimes, you know. For example, you get the culture, you set up your plates, you look at the initial gram stain, you see the organism, you know, the next day, 
the organism is growing, you set up susceptibilities, and then they are all terminated. You repeat them, or maybe try another method like some e-test or Kirby-Bowers, and then once again, no growth on the plates. So it could be that it's non-viable, and it happens. We, I mean, we always like to provide a susceptibility, but if after a few tries, the organism is non-viable, there's nothing we can do. So that's something to keep in mind. Non-viability of the organism, maybe it's fastidious, and also, do you need to add additional media? And this is very helpful in the case that you have multiple organisms growing, right? Remember, blood agar is not selective. It is not selective. So it pretty much grows everything. So you might have to throw in an extra plate to make sure that you give that other organism a chance. So I mentioned that Athayo is typically set on some cultures, right? Like surgical specimens, tissue, body fluids. So this might change from lab to lab. I've been in labs where they set up a thio in every type of culture, any source. I mean, typically you should be setting it for something that's sterile, like a surgical sample or a body fluid, to try to give the organism a chance to ensure recovery. Even though you you see how the ASM says that it might not be very helpful. But however, so you have some labs that they do set a thio on everything. Like any source, like if you do an abdominal swab, the cubitus, on anything, they set up a thio. So maybe the rationale is, you know, you have a small vo smaller volume. It's not that bad. Maybe there's not a microbiology expert on site, so they want to make sure that nothing is missed. You know, there can be many, many reasons. But however, you have to think that in a small lab, you might be reading plates and might be doing two or three more things at once. So your volume might be low, but you will definitely stay busy. So I think that setting a thio on everything, so it's a very time-consuming process. Because, of course, you have to make smears on the thios with growth. So here you have, let's say that they did an, an, uh, a rectal swab. So you know in that area there's going to be a lot of bacteria. A lot. So your thio, it's going to be cloudy. So here you are making slides on all these thios that in all likelihood the morphology is going to match what's on the plates. So here you are spending this time doing that. And then also, let's say that what if maybe you have a person that is, might not be as experienced yet. So then they go ahead and they say, maybe I'm seeing, maybe this looks like a gram-positive coxine chains, and but there's clusters in the plate. So then they go ahead and subculture the plates, and then you spend the one or two days going about that to make sure that nothing is missed. And of course, you know, don't get me wrong, we have to be thorough about what we do. But at the same time, we have to use the critical thinking and use our knowledge. And some sources are full of bacteria, right? Rectal areas, there's definitely a lot of enterics, um, some enterococcus. So those sources, you are expected to have growth. So the value, yes, is helpful. 
when you have a sterile source because you're not expecting any bacteria. So something growing there, you know, might have some significance. It's just, you know, it makes it a very time-consuming process. And we need to make the best use of our time when we are in the lab. We, we spend all our time chasing these cultures, like working up these cultures. They have sources that are expected to have bacteria. And you're ruling all these things out. That is time that you're actually spending away from more significant cultures. So we always need to use our critical thinking, use our best judgment. Because microbiology is not black and white. Microbiology is definitely gray. So think about that. And as always, this is about the patients. That's what we do this for. To make sure that we produce that best ID, that best, you know, the best susceptibility, so the patient can make a full recovery. And that, my dear audience, it's the end of this episode. I hope you enjoy listening about thioglycolate because I sure enjoyed talking about it. And also remember to go back and check Dania's interview. Great interview. There are so many ways that we can contribute to this wonderful field of microbiology. Just remember that. Uh, on the next episode, I will continue talking more about the interview and discussing some things she talked about. But please remember, stay passionate, so important. We need to continue bringing passion to this work. Stay motivated, stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro. Have a great week, everyone. Until next time.